Welcome to Rework, a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Sean Hildner. And this week we're talking about uh, the chapter, Throw Less at the Problem. Joining me as always are Basecamp's co-founders and the authors of Rework, Jason Freed. How are you today? I'm good, Sean. How are you? Wonderful. And David Heinemeyer Hansen, how are you? I am good, good. Well, good. Uh, lately, we've been talking about adding fewer features uh, when, when building a product. And that this is a little more about solving a problem by spending fewer resources. Is that is that right? Spending less time on something, less people? Yeah. Fewer people? David and I just got off a call about kind of this very thing, actually. Oh, yeah? We're talking about pricing. Um, we've been considering playing with different pricing models for Basecamp 4, which we're finishing up. And there are some very appealing approaches based on some data modeling that we've looked at. And there's a lot of product changes that have to come from that. And then there's also other versions of this, which is like, don't change this and don't change that. Instead, solve it in another way, which is just like more sales. There's all sorts of different ways to approach any problem. And they're all a bunch of different trade-offs. And I think our general approach, our general, not always our general approach, but our our general instinct, at least I would say maybe our, our hopeful instinct, is what's the simplest way to solve for what you're aiming for mm-hmm. because there's definitely complicated ways and there's definitely more involved ways, but can you get roughly the same effect by doing less? The reason for that is then you can do more elsewhere. That That's the thing. It's not about like overall doing less. It's actually about having more, uh, more things that you can do in a given year because the nine things you're doing are simpler than the seven things you could have done that are more complicated and would have taken the same amount of time. So that's sort of the bigger idea here, I think. Yeah, the merchant in me always look at this. Do you know what? Anyone can buy 100% for 100%. There's no skill in that. But if you can buy 80% for 20%, there's skill in that. Because now you have five shots of getting five things at 80% rather than one thing at 100%, right? And I think that really encompasses so much of how we've approached so many things at the business. You look at Basecamp itself. Basecamp is essentially five products. It's the 80% of all of these five different solutions, right? Hey, you don't need a separate Slack. You don't need a separate Asana. You don't need a separate Trello. You don't need a separate Dropbox. You don't need all these other things. Here's a version that includes the 80% that most people actually need in that situation together. And that's the value, right? The value is that you get it uh, sort of all integrated together. The other thing I'd say is that throwing less at the problem is a mindset of how to analyze the solution space, right? It's very easy to get locked in on tinkering at the margins. Okay, we're locked into this definition of the problem. Let's just tinker it at the margins. That's just not where the big leaps are made. If you think of this other concept of the 10x programmer, for example, very few of the 10x programmers are 10x as effective because they write 10 times as much code. I'm sorry, what is a 10x programmer? 10x programmer is this um, concept from studies on, on old software organizations that there'd be these individual programmers who'd be 10 times as productive as the worst programmer, not as the average, but as the worst programmer. They'd make 10 times as much progress. But the bulk of that progress, the bulk of that impact was from analyzing the problem and then coming up with a totally different way of doing it. We can also just not do that, right? This solution we're looking at do you know what? Maybe I can write it a little bit better than you. But that's not that's not where the big gains are. The gains are by writing something totally different that solves the same hurt, which connects to this notion of why you should never accept customers and their 
suggestions for features. Customers are excellent at telling you their problems. They're not excellent at designing solutions to those problems because if they were, you'd be buying their software. They wouldn't be buying (laughs) yours. They're buying your software because you're solving their problems, right? So constantly being able to step back and go like, no, 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 wait a second. This path we're on, is, is, is this right? Is there a totally different way, left field version of it, a less version of it? And, and the less is the guiding principle here, which usually comes up whenever Jason and I, we were just on this call about pricing and we're analyzing or we're talking about this broad analytical product that we've done internally, multiple pages, reviewing, a thing to doing it. Sometimes some of those things in itself gives me this sense like, eh, I suspect there's a less version of this. But it's easier, right? Like it's so easy to run into a problem and say, oh, let's just throw more money at it. Let's throw more people at it. So how do you how do you flip that in your head to, oh, let's reframe the problem, which I think is what you're saying, David. Yes. I think part of it is aesthetically. Like I aesthetically just have an attachment to this (laughs) idea of of doing something efficiently. Right. Again, this this whole thing of getting 100 percent for 100 percent of the effort, just not interesting. There's no no creativity there and just like mass blasting through it, right? There's no, I want a deal. I'm, I'm here to wheel a deal. I want a deal on uh, the best parts of this feature. I want to pay 20% of it and I want to get 80%. Yeah, yeah. Can you think of any examples of maybe products or companies that, that you've dug and when they ran into some hard times, they did end up throwing a bunch of money at it or throwing too many people at it and it created a, a poor solution? I feel like there's probably a number of examples in the automotive industry um, where like a new, you know, a company is struggling and they, they come out with a whole new platform or a new car. And this is probably just, I, this is so ambiguous and whatever that it's not even a good example, but, but basically where, where they think the problem is one thing, but it's really not that. And by the way, that could be our problem too. Like every company, for example, if you're talking about like increasing marketing expenses, increasing sales, how do we get more customers in the door? It could be that there's not a good product market fit. That actually could be the problem. The product could be bad. That could be part of the problem. But you you sort of assume, well, the product's perfect. We just don't have enough people coming in the door to sign up for it. You don't really know necessarily, you know? And I think that that's, that's one of the areas where you can find yourself throwing a lot of money at something when you're, when you're not really selling the thing people want to begin with. So that's maybe a better example than that. That's incredibly vague car example, which wasn't even a full, complete example. But maybe David has one. I just couldn't come up with one <laughs> off, off the bat. I think part of the car example that works for me is actually Tesla. That Tesla threw way less at the problem when it came to putting cars together, which is how they were able to catch up, basically being a hundred years behind. That there was no way Tesla was going to produce a wonderful internal combustion engine car. Because right. that requires 5,000 parts. You all have to get right. Tesla came up with a model that required less than 500 parts, an order of magnitude fewer parts to put a car together. And they didn't even put those 500 parts together particularly well. <laughs> Tesla is probably some of the worst built cars I've ever had the misfortune at times of driving in. And it just didn't matter. The less they threw at the problem was this, hey, what if we just made the floor out of laptop batteries? What if we just did that instead of this awfully complicated micro explosion management that is a uh, a gasoline engine? Let's not manage explosions. Let's just put a bunch of laptop batteries at the floor of a car. It reduces the overall complexity of building the thing by an order of magnitude. We can then 
dazzle people with some things that are easy and cheap for us Silicon Valley types to build, like a nice user interface, something that's been historically neglected like crazy. All these German car makers, they'd be like, oh, yeah, but look at, like, whatever, all the tolerances, tolerance gaps, right? A lot of cars were evaluated, like, how, how big is the tolerance between um, the panel gaps? And Tesla just went like, what if ours are just totally crooked and no one gives a shit? And then instead, I'm going to put in like a, a game on <laughs> sure. the – you can play chess sure. on your car while you're sitting, which is actually something I did with my son, which was really fun in our uh, Tesla. We sat down and, and played chess in the parking lot. And I'm like, that's a thing where you're throwing less at the problem. We can't fix the hard problems, panel gaps. Pretty hard problem. You have to spend decades to really perfect that model. Elon goes in like, none of this matters. That's not what people buy a car. Yeah, yeah. They buy a car because no longer they have to fill gas in it. They can just fucking charge it at home. They buy a car because it's an appliance to get them from A to B. They buy a car because it's got humor, right? When was the last time you talked about a car that had humor? Mm -hmm. I think pretty much the only car in the industry that has humor is the Tesla, right? Like you can make it look like funny thing. There's a fart app that uh, my eight-year-old son had a, had a blast with for, for a while. And you just, you compete in a completely different arena. This is what's interesting to me. And that's why I have such respect for Tesla, even though I also kind of <laughs> hate it. <laughs> I do think the Beetle was funny. Yeah, well, maybe that was the last time. Right. <laughs> but, you know, what was interesting about the Beetle was there was a couple of things. You had the the the, um, the daisy uh, little holder. And the, 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 the flower holder. The flower yeah. holder. And then it was mostly the advertising. Yeah. Also, though, yeah. which was don't take us. We're not going to take ourselves too seriously. You know, we're going to have some fun with that. And they set the tone there. The thing that's interesting about what David is saying is that while Tesla, of course, does technically throw less at the problem in terms of like having fewer parts, they just chose a different problem. And that's actually kind of the reframing the problem, like bringing humor into it, bringing a different user interface into it, bringing a different expectation of what a car is. It's more of a computer on wheels for Tesla, even though it's they're fast as hell. They don't handle very well. It's not like a... They realize that people don't give a shit about that. Most people are just commuting. And if they can create an environment that's like fast enough and novel enough and fresh enough and you can plug it in, like that's what's going to be different about it. Yeah. So it is technically less, but it's also coming from a different point of view, which is it's not less of an internal combustion engine. It's an entirely different idea for what a car really represents. Yeah. Versus, you know, everyone else. This is the key insight. Yeah. The key insight with throwing less at the problem is that you have to give up some things. Yeah. You don't get to throw all the same stuff around. You don't get the same quality. You have to say, you know what? These things we're not doing, which connects to this other uh, great book. I think maybe we referenced it somewhere in Rework, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. Blue Ocean Strategy is a, a methodology of approaching problems of how you're going to solve it. And it maps out by basically having you rank like, here's five or 10 things that a potential car owner might care about. If they care about panel gaps, if they care about finesse handling, if they care about like the fidelity of the controls, they're going to buy a German car. <laughs> Let's just put it like that, right? That, that's where Audi and Porsche and BMW, they excel at that stuff. And Elon goes in and is like, what if we took all those sliders and we put them to zero? <laughs> make the shittiest stuff we possibly could because it's not what we're going to invest. And then on these other things, we're going to totally over-index, right? First of all, we're going to make the floor out of laptop batteries so you don't have to refuel it anymore. That connects to the fact that you can feel good about the environment. Um, that connects to the fact that we have the sense of humor. So throwing less is choosing fewer things, but you got to do those well. 
You can't just throw crap at the problem. You got to throw less at the problem and that less has to be good. Um, yep. So the exercise that's so interesting is deciding all the things this is not going to do. What features will this not have? What qualities will it not have? Which people who like those qualities and those features will we not appeal to? In fact, we just had this discussion on this pricing call where we were talking about large companies. Hey, there's a reason why a lot of software as a service is sold on a per seat pricing because if you land a few companies that have 20,000 employees or 50,000 employees, that's a huge account, right? And you got to care about them. And we could go like, you know what? What if we didn't care about those? Which it's also sort of a historical stance on the, on the question. But again, when you're reviewing prices, you should look at the whole thing again and like, why do we believe the things we believe? And we went like, you know what? We probably just don't care about that end. So we can make some different choices here than someone else would do if they were like, oh, juicy 20K account here that we really need to land. Right. Let's throw less at the problems um, by choosing what we're not going to pursue. Yeah. We're not going to target what qualities we will not have. Can you think of any other examples uh, where you ran into a problem and decided, and I think, I think decided is key to throw less at it. Not, well, we only have these resources, so now we have to reframe the problem. But are there any examples of, you know what, I only want to throw two people at this. I only want to give this the six-week budget. Kind of everything. Yeah. And we don't always nail it, but our aim is, you know, most of the time, if not 90% of the time, which is we, we basically in everything we build today, there's two people working on it. There's one programmer, one designer, which prevents us from doing all sorts of things. On top of that, we time box it with what we call an appetite, not a budget, but an appetite. We have an appetite for four weeks worth of work on this. This feature we think is worth four weeks. Not that it can take four weeks because it could also take 12 and 16 and 20, but we only have an appetite for four. Yeah. And the combination of the appetite plus a small team you're forced into figuring out like where the real value is, what not to do. It's more about like David is saying, it's more about what not to do. Mm-hmm. Those are all the decisions almost what not to do. And then, and then the things that are left are the things you do and you do them, you know, in a very, again, not a crappy way in a very high end, straightforward way, but only a few of those things. Those, those are the conditions we put in place because we understand human nature is, is just the opposite, which is, you don't want to give up on something. You want to put more people on it and put more money behind it and do more stuff. And if we don't prevent ourselves from being human here, we're just going to never get anything done. And so that's sort of the constraints we throw in front of us as we delve into projects. This is why so many good, interesting ideas come out of scrappy startups in proverbial garages sure. that only have two people. Because those are the conditions where you do not get to choose. You're just starting out. You're in this proverbial garage Fair fact here, I've never worked from a garage. It sounds like a weird thing, but let's just go with the metaphor for a while. Just constraint. You can't afford an office. You can't even afford uh, a proper desk or whatever. You're only two, three, four people. Super hard constraints. It forces you to think less, 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 which forces you to think all about the things you're not going to do, which forces you to think about how you come up with something radically different. How can we get 500 parts in instead of 5,000. Everyone else is putting their product into space together with 5,000 parts. You can't compete with that, right? If, if we were competing head on, if you just go in a garage with three people and you decide to take on a huge conglomerate head on with the same product in the same space, you're going to get squashed. You're going to get squashed immediately. They have all the advantages in their favor. You have to play this uh, guerrilla warfare here of not facing the enemy head on. 
you're not going to face a, a, a tank with a slingshot. You're going to sort of go a different way around it, and you're going to find a different angle on it, and you're going to find something clever that they haven't thought about, and you're going to find that because you had to, Yeah. right? Because if you were this person who sat at this major other company and you had 100 people and two years to do it, you too would come up with the kind of product that took 100 people two years to do. This is really about like initially figuring out what could you do and then deciding what can you do. And those cannot be the same. This is the curation process we talked about uh, in the yeah. previous uh, last episode. Can has to be less than could. Right. And the problem is, is that if you, if you come up with your could list and you go, we're going to do all the things we could do, that's the recipe for forever and too much and, and not enough and it doesn't go well. Yep. So that's the art. It's figuring out going from could to can and, and getting there with a few, as few people as you can, I think is, is, and it's little time technically yeah. as well. Now, look, there are, of course, there are people I know uh, you listen to these things and I go, what about, it's right. like, again, like we had this in our, and I think it was in rework or maybe getting real. Like you're not fucking air traffic control. You're not building an airplane. You're not building semiconductors. Like some of those things are enormously resource intensive. Although, of course, I think the semiconductor example is interesting with Apple and Intel, um, just taking very different approaches and whatnot. But these are very resource uh, flush companies, both of them. So it's not like one had less. One had less of a head start, but right. no one has less there. Um, but those those examples are such outliers. Most people are not facing those kind of situations or conditions. Yeah. Well, perfect. I think that's a, a pretty good place to wrap up that conversation. Uh, we do have another listener question. Yeah, let's do it. This one's coming from Paul. Hi, Jason and David. This is Paul from Norway. I got the sense that you guys low coding. So first, I'm wondering if that is the case. And secondly, how much time do you spend coding these days? Thanks. Bye. I think that might be more for for David as far as the coding goes. But uh, Jason, maybe how much time do you spend actually playing with the HTML? A lot less than I used to. Um, more of my time is spent on sort of, uh, helping others come up with solutions for problems and working through and being more of an editor actually on the design process, the sort of the initial instigator. And then an editor is sort of my current thing. Um, I can get in there when I need to, but I, I typically don't anymore. It's quite as much. So David's in a different boat though. He's, uh, coding away. Like a madman. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I endured the act of coding an awful lot to the point that it's almost one of those sustaining activities that makes the rest of it work. Because if I go too long um, without getting my hands um, into the code, I just get grumpy. And then I'm not good at the other stuff. So I, I, I need to do that. I need to have my hands in it. Um, and that's a thing I enjoy. And I happen to work at a place where I could do the thing I enjoy very much. And it actually helps the business and it moves things forward. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't give that up for, for pretty much uh, anything, which is also why we've tried to design the company in such a way that both Jason and I can continue to do the things that we really like to do. Uh, oftentimes what happens to entrepreneurs and founders as their company grows is they do just the things that have to be done. And then they're not doing the things they really want to do. And then they end up miserable and then they can't go the distance. We've been able to stick with it for 20 plus years because we've spent an awful lot of the time doing the things we really like to do, whether that's writing or designing or being an editor or doing code. Yeah. And then uh, finding either ways of throwing less at the problem when it comes to the administrative side of the business 
or getting someone else to do it. If you could, I don't know, guess at the, the breakdown of your day or your week, how much of the time is spent coding? It's very up and down. Sometimes it's literally 100%. Like it, it's, I, I almost go off the grid, sort of, for a while because we have a problem and I'm really interested in that problem and I want to solve that problem. And I do that. And then there are other weeks at a time where I don't get back into the code. And usually once it's been weeks, I, I do start to get a little grumpy. And then I realize I got to do something, which is so funny too, because it, sometimes this has sort of that energy of differential value. There's certain things I'd like to believe that if I'm in the code with, like it really makes a big difference. But sometimes I can't wait for that thing. So I'll just fix a bug. That yeah. anyone <laughs> at the company or any programmer at the company could have fixed that bug. They could possibly have fixed it better than me, possibly could have fixed it faster than me, but I simply need to write some code. So this is a way to, to be productive then just go like, ah, all right, that was uh, something I just needed to do. Perfect. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, keep these questions coming in. If you would like to ask a question of Jason or David, leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. Or better yet, uh, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at hello at rework.fm. And that will do it for this episode. Uh, I, I know you're both on the road, so thank you both for joining me today. Next week, we're going to talk about focusing on the things that won't change. Uh, but for now, I will say thank you to David Heinemeyer Hansen. Thanks, Sean. And thank you, Jason Fried. Thank you, Sean. See you next time. We'll see you next week. Bye. Rework is a production of Basecamp. Our theme music is by Clipart. We're on the web at Rework.fm, where you can find show notes and transcripts for this and every episode of Rework. We're also on Twitter at Rework Podcast. If you're following along in the book, next week we'll be discussing the chapter, Focus on What Won't Change. And if you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you're listening to this. Rework.